A boatload of new video games announced. Showtime closes its curtains on TV. Kind of. Netflix looking to serve up some more live sports. Apple trying its best to shut down iMessage on Android. Price hikes continue to take over the world. And an epic win in a huge App Store court case. This and a whole lot more taking over the headlines of the past week. I'm Jason Grewell, and this is The Freshwater. Hey everyone, hope you're all doing well. Welcome back to another episode of The Freshwire. I am your host, as always, every Tuesday evening tonight, Jason Grewal. As I'm recording this, it is 9.19 p.m., December 12th, 2023. Hope you're all doing well, wherever you are, however you live. I appreciate you tuning in. Now, of course, a few things I should jump into that happened around the time that I record my podcast, if not shortly after. But I will start off with a little bit of an update that I must have missed or it just happened like i said around the time officially the hollywood strikes have concluded about a half year or so of the writer strike and the actor strike and then the combined two and then the strikes themselves being over and the actors and writers returning to work well around the time i finished my podcast recording tuesday night the sag aftra voted to ratify their agreement on December 5th, making their new deal official. Now, there's no situation that they'll return to the strike or anything like that. 78.33% voted in favor, members of the union specifically, based on the agreement that was negotiated last month. New deal runs through June 30th of 2026. You know, it has more than a billion dollars in new compensation and benefit plan funding. And according to SAG-AFTRA, and it's, it's overall big win from the looks of it for the actors in SAG-AFTRA and I respect that they were able to resolve the strike even if it did take a few months I'm glad they got at least hopefully most of what they wanted so with that being said another big thing that happened shortly after my podcast was the passing of a very very recognized um, person in the entertainment industry Norman Lear passed away at age 101. He was part of a lot of different shows throughout, it seems, the decades. All in the family is when I immediately recognized uh, Maud, Good Times, Mary Hartman, and the Jeffersons, uh, the person that was a writer, producer, and activist for Citizens, passed away at 101. He died Tuesday last week at his home in Los Angeles, surrounded by his family. He was, uh, in the, he was in one of the original inductees into the TV Hall of Fame back in 1984. He's won the Emmy. He's won an Emmy six different times and provided funding for a lot of recognizable films such as This is Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, and Fried Green Tomatoes. So it is obviously very devastating. He was a big activist. And he will, of course, be missed because of everything he was in. He was—he had a big impact on the entertainment industry. He was in—he had his part and influence in a lot of different showings. Um, from what I've read, there he was clearly big enough that he had in memoriam f- that played on all four of the big or fa- four big major networks all at the same time. So he was clearly a big impact, and he will absolutely be missed. 
he had he is survived by six children and also four grandchildren. So with that being said, let's continue diving into entertainment, movies, TV shows, you know it, you love it. And there's actually quite a bit to talk about. First off, something that I wanted to mention because it's pretty sick that it's happening. Uh, A24 was made some incredible independent-looking films that feels like they took advantage of their budget more than other $100 million blockbusters you see. They made Hereditary, Uncut Gems, some genuine classics. They, they go all over the place, and they make some... I think they recently um, released under their label, I think, like a like a kid-friendly movie, family-friendly movie, like a hybrid animation or stop-motion looking. Uh, and I've heard good reviews for it. Um, so, yeah, they have a whole suite of films, and they're now coming over to HBO Max, two different things, I know, and Cinemax, putting over 100 films on the platform along with future releases. Oh, and, of course, Everything Everywhere All at Once, another fantastic film that truly shines in my opinion. Absolutely amazing film. I highly recommend watching it. Released, I think, last year. Great film. Um, so, yeah, while a lot of content's being cut from services like Max, they're adding on other films that may end up being what some people want, but others would probably prefer content that was being cut out. Uh, according to this article by The Verge, the agreement is a pay-one-output deal, which means after new... A24 films complete their run in theaters. They'll only be available on these WBD, Warner Bros. Discovery-owned platforms for a set period of time. It's actually similar to a pay-one deal that A24 had with Showtime back in 2019, but that has since expired. So, yeah, pretty big deal. Um, you know, A24 films feels like they have smaller budgets, but they continue to feel just as grand as other, like, blockbusters may be. And I respect that. I respect that they're... Going for the money, but, you know, more options, it seems to me. Now, last week in my episode, my podcast, I talked about how Disney Plus and Hulu looked to be finally combining together, and they ended up going for it, I think, the day after. Um, now there is a Hulu section as a sort of beta test, in a way, for Disney Plus, and according to a study, in terms of the U.S., these two services combined have the own the most popular titles in the country. Uh, the studies by Amper uh, Analytics finding that the combined streaming service would own more popular content titles in the U.S. than any other streamers. It would rank second in terms of catalog size behind Amazon Prime Video, but ahead of Netflix, the research firm said Monday. Here's a more specific quote. Combined, the Disney Plus slash Hulu app will offer 9,000 distinct movies and TV seasons. Amper's uh, latest title-level analysis of the content offer suggests, the firm highlighted. They mentioned 9,578 content pieces. So, you know, adding some numbers to it. It's a study, of course. It's actually pretty far behind Amazon Prime Video. They're nearing 11,000. Of course, I've, I remember like seeing... Like, what's available on Amazon Prime, and I'll never forget, like, seeing Minecraft Let's Play videos on Amazon Prime. Like, oh, man, I totally can't get that on YouTube. Um, but now, it's one advantage. Oh, no ads natively is going away in a few months, so. Surprisingly, in comparison um, to other services, 
Uh, Netflix is around 8,400. Max has just under 7,000. Peacock around 6,400. Discovery Plus a little less than that. So if those two combined, they'd be the largest in the U.S. in terms of catalog size for sure. And Paramount Plus, I think I remember talking a few weeks back that they cut a massive amount from their catalog in recent months. They are at 3,606. So, yeah, pretty big if this goes through. From what I remember reading, not a, not all shows and movies are on and from Hulu are on Disney Plus. And also, if you have the Disney Plus bundle, where it's you know you have Disney Plus without ads, but you have Hulu with ads, like me, Hulu will still, as far as I know, show their shows and movies with ads on the Disney Plus app. So no loophole there, unfortunately. Um, I would love to upgrade. It's just I'm grandfathered into a plan that won't let me. Um, so that sucks. But I'm glad that they're merging it in, in in some capacity to some extent. It's weird for a company to own two different streaming services. But now I'm noticing Max and Discovery Plus are owned by the same company. There were speculation that they were going to merge, and then they ended up not merging, but increased the price of Max anyway. So... You win some, you lose a lot more. Um, speaking of Paramount Plus, Showtime, which for many may recognize as a um, very, maybe to some beloved TV channel full of movies and some you know original TV shows in comparison to HBO and the like, well, they're getting a rebrand, and it's a very weird one because it kind of suggests something that I don't think is the case. They're adding Paramount Plus shows in the rebrand that's happening next month, and they're going to call it Paramount Plus with Showtime. That's what the channel's going to be called, which is very weird. Um, calling a channel Paramount Plus with Showtime. I'm going to assume this channel's just going to be included into the Paramount Plus uh, subscription. I actually don't even know if I have Showtime, but this is a very weird rename. It kind of suggests Showtime is not the movie channel, and that Paramount Plus is now a streaming service, and a TV channel. But this isn't even the case of when it was HBO Max and HBO. Uh, you can kind of tell there. They're just straight up, because I think they have the new tier called Paramount Plus with Showtime, and I think it's the default tier too. Paramount Plus officially added Showtime programming in June, and th that's when they rebranded it as Paramount Plus with Showtime. They said back then they would eventually rebrand the Showtime linear TV channel. Very weird. Um, that's a little confusing. Some shows from Paramount Plus that are being added to the channel that now you no longer have to have streaming service. It includes Halo, which I think they have a second season on the way in the near future, uh, Sexy Beasts, Mayor of Kingstown, and Star Trek Discovery. So a lot of shows that, um, some of them beloved, some of them not so much, that were all on Paramount Plus and for the most part exclusive. I think the Halo first season popped up on YouTube to hype people up to watch the second season when it premieres on Paramount Plus. So that's a big selling point gone. But now you can just watch Halo when it pops up on Paramount Plus with Showtime, the TV channel. That is, I mean, come on. I can't be the only one that thinks that's confusing. And of course, um, this all comes as in the past few months, the company has laid off 25% of its staff in its TV networks division tied to the major and shut down historic brands including MTV News and Showtime Sports. I, th I almost, I think I almost wanted to cover the shutdown of Showtime Sports, but it kind of strayed a little too far from what I normally talk about. But yeah, Showtime Sports, which would be like boxing and other types of sports and maybe documentaries, um, have been shut down along with the layoff 
very disappointing. But hey, now they can move on to something that's completely uh, unrelated and hope people forget. But let me tell you, some never do. Speaking of streaming services as well, uh, on to Netflix. Uh, in recent weeks, they had a pretty big racing live stream that I think had a lot of bugs and errors. I don't know. I canceled Netflix, so I ended up not seeing it. And now they will continue through with live sports as they're going to serve up a live tennis match. It'll be called the Netflix Slam, and it's going to be held in Las Vegas March 3rd. So there will be some pretty big tennis matchups, including one between 22-time Grand Slam champion Rafael Nadal and no world number two Carlos Alcaraz. Sorry if I say those names wrong. So, yeah, pretty big deal. And, I mean, you know, it'll be streamed in both English and Spanish for global markets. And, yeah, I mean, it's the second in-house live sporting event by Netflix following the Netflix Club uh, Cup last month where that was a live golf exhibition match with PGA Tour pros featured in the Netflix docuseries Full Swing, pairing up with Formula One drivers featured in Drive to Survive. So I misremembered. I apologize. It had Formula One drivers, but it was golf. That really just shows that I didn't watch it, but I remember doing research for it. But it, yeah, I just mix it up. So Formula One drivers. And yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, and I, I'm curious. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of like analytics behind it that at least Netflix released, but all the streaming services seem like they're trying to get into sports. Every time I watch a CBS football game, it's going to be Paramount Plus has live sports. Uh, or Max with its new BR or Bleacher Report sports add-on. So now they got a bunch of basketball there and I think hockey. Um, of course, Disney Plus with its ESPN Plus. Uh, Peacock. Peacock with their NBC stuff, uh, Sunday Night Football, and their um, WWE. It's only Fox. Fox doesn't have anything like that. You want to watch Fox Sports, you need the channel. Or if it's on Fox directly, good luck. Um, you literally need, like, Fubo or something, which is pretty disappointing for internet streaming. Obviously, cable, different story. And that'll be it for the entertainment, TV, and movie section. Now, on to a little tech. And there's a lot of tech. There is a lot of tech. But before I get into any of that, there's what I would call a pretty big, or dare I say, epic win for Epic Games, the makers of the legendary... Battle Royale, Fortnite. Three years ago, the company sued Apple and Google. There was a whole situation with the Apple one, but Google, in this case, was a total win for the game developer. Uh, the jury found in its verdict that Google turned its Google Play App Store and billing service into an illegal monopoly. Um, so a little more specifics from this article on The Verge. They summed it up pretty well. The jury unanimously answered yes to every question put before them that Google has monopoly power in the Android app distribution markets and in-app billing services, services markets, that Google did anti-competitive things in those markets, and that Epic was injured by that behavior. They decided Google has an illegal tie between its app store and billing payment services too, and its distribution agreement, project hug deals with game developers, and deals with OEMs were all anti-competitive. A dramatically big win 
for Epic Games. I don't think the Apple one was anywhere near as one-sided as this one was, which, here we go, a little bit of an opinion, but you can still play Fortnite on Android devices. You can install the Epic Games launcher, and if you have a Samsung phone, you can get Fortnite directly through this, the Samsung Galaxy App Store. I should know. I have it installed. Have I played it? Not a whole lot, but I have it installed on my phone. Apple, I think to this day, you still can't play Fortnite on it. So it's pretty impressive that this victory was so huge for Epic Games when you can still play their game on there this whole time. But for Apple, it was more of a uh, not really kind of a loss, I remember reading, for both sides. And Fortnite remains unplayable. So very interesting. Um, Google has said uh, that they plan to appeal the verdict, and I think they have uh, very recently. And Epic Games in a post on its company blog said, quote, Today's ver verdict is a win for all app developers and consumers around the world. It proves that Google's app store practices are illegal and they abuse their monopoly to extract exorbitant fees, stifle competition, and reduce innovation. Yeah. Um, so very weird situation, but it seems like the difference between this and the Apple one was the Apple one decided the fight had nothing to do with apps, but Epic v. Google hinged on secret revenue sharing deals uh, between Google and smartphone makers and big game developers. And it looked like while Apple was able to mostly succeed in their case because of the App Store situation, Google got a little more screwed because of big reveals that the possibility that they were actually trying to keep rival, rival App Stores down mainly because they were able to be installed in the first place and they wanted people to use Google Play from what I from what I'm understanding. So now I'm not sure what's going to happen. It seems like Epic doesn't quite know yet either. The judge will decide what the appropriate appropriate remedies might be. Epic never sued for monetary damages. It wants the court to tell Google that every app developer has total freedom to introduce its own app stores and its own billing systems on Android. It's not known if the judge may grant these wishes. They will, however, meet in the second week of January to discuss potential remedies. Um, hmm. So, yeah, pretty big stuff. And very, very curious how it goes through, through there. You know, big loss for Google and... You know, Android is meant to be very open in terms of being able to install apps, whatever apps you want, for better or worse. Recent times, there's been, like, the Play Protect integration where now it can kind of see, are you sure you want to install this? Are you really sure? And then maybe if it knows, it'll just try to block it. As far as I know, that hasn't happened with Epic Game Store. But you do have to go around a little settings, dare I say, to install something like the Epic Games launcher to install Fortnite if you don't have a Samsung Galaxy phone. So, huh, pretty pretty big. And I will keep my eye on where it goes in the second week of January. Now, small little head-scratcher by General Motors. Uh, earlier this year, they announced that they would be phasing out Apple CarPlay and Android Auto on its new EVs. So any 2024 electric vehicles made by GM, which can include Chevrolet, for example, um, will likely not have CarPlay or Android Auto. So now your only option is to utilize the built-in navigational system and infotainment system that's in the car. 
which it has been a very big problem. And recently, a spokesperson for the company has dove a little more into their reasoning uh, in an article on Motor Trend. And it is a very, very weird one. Uh, Tim Babbitt, GM's head of product for infotainment, gave a better explanation at a press event for, this is an example, the 2024 Blazer EV by Chevrolet, the first and biggest flagship vehicle that does not have these two critically, in my opinion, important integrations with smartphones and cars. And he apparently said there's an important factor that didn't make it on uh, into the discussion, specifically driver distraction caused by cell phone usage behind the wheel. Now, like I said, a massive head-scratcher because... Um, you don't use your phone, at least you're not supposed to use your phone when it's hooked up to Android Auto or Apple CarPlay because the display, your car display, is what utilizes it. It genuinely makes no sense, um, and it's not known if they said the person said it with a straight face um, because there's no way you can. Um, apparently, according to Tim Babbitt, CarPlay and Android Auto have stability issues that manifest as poor, bad connections, poor rendering, slow responses, and dropped connections. When they have issues, drivers pick up their phones again, taking their eyes off the road, um, which isn't something that they should be that worried about. GM has not tested this thesis in the lab or real world, but believes it has potential if customers go for it. The thesis being that if drivers are to do everything through the vehicle's built-in systems, they'd be less likely to pick up their phones and therefore be less distracted and safer behind the wheel. Um, I don't... <laughs> mm, yeah, no. I don't think that's uh, genuine. Um, oh, and you know what? I guess by nature I have to mention this, but there was actually an update after the Motor Trend story about this was published. GM provided the following statement, quote, We wanted to reach out to clarify the comments about GM's position on phone projection were misrepresented in previous articles and to reinforce our valued partnerships with Apple and Google and each company's commitment to driver safety. GM's embedded infotainment strategy is driven by the benefits of having a system that allows for greater integration with the larger GM ecosystem vehicles. So I really don't know what to do there with what to take from that. Um, other than, as far as I know, no Apple CarPlay and Android Auto is only with new EVs. I don't know why it has to be just the EVs or just any car or any car at all. Um, but they're pretty much saying... No, 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 we still value. We still value our partnership with Apple and Google. No, 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 Even though they just had a person from GM say, we removed them for driver safety, which kind of makes it seem like having them is bad. And if that's the case, why not remove flyer vehicles? Why just the EVs? Um, so very dumbfounded and impressively crazy, but it's actually not the only crazy thing to talk about. Um, in recent weeks, I've been talking about this big app that released for Android that allows iMessage to work functionally. Originally, there was an iteration of it that looked extraordinarily insecure that was shut down by the developer. And then Beeper, a startup, came out of nowhere and introduced that you can natively run iMessage without any relay or anything of the nature. But Apple, find this time, stepped in because unlike nothing chats or sunbird where it was extremely insecure and apple was like 
they're not going to shut down themselves. And they did. Beeper looks genuine and functionally correct in terms of its capability. And they're going to, and they said they're going to add more like SMS, RCS, FaceTime integration, even. Although, to be fair, you can FaceTime with Android and Windows. It's just an Apple user has to share you a link to it. But it is possible. Natively, though, no, it's not. Well, in recent days, there's been a huge face-off between Apple and Beeper. Uh, not too long after Beeper Mini, the app that allows native iMessage on Android, released, Apple was able to block it. And funny enough, I remember when this whole thing came out that with Beeper Mini, the way it worked was so deeply ingrained into iMessage that for Apple to allow it to cease to function they would have to rework a lot of iMessage um, aspects, server-wide, um, or server-side, sorry. And they could go in a lot of different routes, but it looks like they were able to go through a route that did not affect actual iMessage users at all, and only Android ones. <laughs> so, you, as of now, you are not able to register your phone number with iMessage through an Android phone at this time you can, however, they were able to bring it back to a degree that you now have to sign in with your Apple ID. Previously, you didn't have to, which was really extraordinary. Um, and now you can utilize with a email address, which is functionally equivalent to owning an iPod Touch, RIP. I own one, where you can set up iMessage, but if it's not an actual phone with a phone number, then you have to hook it up with your email address and then go from there. But you don't really want to do that with just an iPod Touch and an Android phone. I learned that the hard way, but it was a birthday gift, and I liked it otherwise. So now this could be a bit of a cat and mouse game, and also Beeper Mini will be, at least for now, free to use. Previously, there was a $2 a month subscription after a seven-day free trial, but in a statement by the company behind Beeper... They said, quote, things have been a bit chaotic and we're not comfortable subjecting paying users to this. Understandable completely. Um, it actually made me install it. I haven't really messaged anyone through it because I'm worried that I don't want to message people through it when my phone number is not attached. And then all of a sudden their messages got sent exclusively to my email address and not my phone number. And either way, I don't really message many people with my phone number anyway. So a whole ordeal that really seems like Unnecessary, but necessary, because there's a very stupid war between green and blue bubbles in the U.S. and I think pretty much nowhere else in the country. The world, my bad. The world. Um, and RCS is soon going to be added to iMessage, so any technical limits that green bubbles offered because of it's behind such an archaic standard, SMS specifically, um, it'll still be green bubbles, but they won't be, you know, there's a chance that group chats won't be as screwed up as they do uh, now, when a green bubble, or rather Android user, joins an iMessage group chat. Um, and I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. Um, by the way, what Apple said was that it was, you know, insecure, big vulnerabilities, exploitable. And Beeper has responded to that statement Um Apple's initial statement, that's app, which is based on a reverse engineering of the iMessage protocol, comes with potential risks to user privacy and security, which is why they not only said they've shut it down, but that they'll continue to shut it down as it continues to pop back up. 
Um, I think Apple is scared that Android users finally have a legitimate way to utilize iMessage, albeit with what was supposed to be a um, monthly paid service. Um, and they want iMessage to stay locked down in Apple's devices. If you can't tell, I'm not exactly pro-Apple. Uh, I only own an iPod Touch. I've always personally hated how locked down Apple's ecosystem is. At least I'm all in on Samsung now, but if I ever like move to a Google Pixel smartphone, you know, a lot of my, my a lot of my Samsung accessories will very likely still work. That's completely untrue with Apple. Um, and I don't even want to get into the Find My Device network that Apple continues to lag behind with integrating AirTags into this whole network that should include Google's devices as well. And until that happens, this whole network can't can't open up or anything like that. It's a whole ordeal. You can do your own research if you want to. Um, when that gets a big update, I will absolutely cover that in a future episode. But it has been months since that happened, and I'm not really going to get into it now because it's pretty old, um, temporarily at least. And by the way, this whole fight between Beeper and Apple, you wouldn't think it would get that big. Um, and it did. It did get that, that big. Um, an entire U.S. Senator, Elizabeth Warren, has now stepped in and gave her take on the whole ordeal, saying, quote, Queen, uh, sorry, quote, green bubble texts are less secure, so why would Apple block a new app allowing Android users to chat with iPhone users on iMessage? Big tech executives are protecting profits by squashing competitors. Chatting between different platforms should be easy and secure. If Google wanted a get the message, now RCS is coming to iMessage, but if Google wanted a get the message person, just a, just a tweet on x slash twitter.com, boom, that is insane. That is purely huge. But RCS is coming to iMessage at the mercy of the European Union. So not as big of a deal. Um, although it is still unknown if encryption will be standard on Apple's use of RCS day one. <laughs> pretty big, pretty big post that I didn't expect a U.S. senator or any of them to talk about this. So although Senator Elizabeth Warren has previously called out anti-competitive big tech behavior before. So I guess it shouldn't be that surprising, but Beeper really just went from very few people know because it was behind a super big wait list and cost of money, I think it was supposed to, you know, and it was always not super secure from the beginning. And now it's like, oh yeah, native iMessage. So now, you know, everyone's, everyone's stepped in. What everyone, what may, many may have stepped into, but now can't anymore um, is telehealth tooth alignment company Smile Direct Club, which I think I've seen ads for in the past. Well, they've shut down completely. Earlier this year, they were told that they cannot enforce NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, that forbid bad reviews from unhappy customers. They have now promptly shut down their customer care support and canceled all outstanding tooth aligner orders. Also adding on that their sm lifetime smile guarantee no longer exists. That was a quote, actually. Um, however, if you are still on a what's called smile pay plan, where you may have received aligners and then decided to pay monthly for it, well, now, well, you're still expected to continue to make all monthly payments until payment has been made in full per the terms of their smile pay program. Um, the company, by the way, has a history of suing dentists. So there was definitely always controversy with this company, and it is insane that now the Lifetime Smile Guarantee no longer exists. So if something bad happens, there's no customer support. 
and you're screwed, and no refunds. But don't worry, you still have to pay whatever you owe in full, probably to a debt collector um, at this point. Spotify, by the way, I really didn't know how to get this in, but Spotify, on the topic of Warner Bros. Discovery a little while back, they have introduced a pretty big podcast deal. Now, as someone that very occasionally, as I work in the news, has to watch for has watched CNN and other channels from time to time, sometimes there is mentions of a podcast. It's on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just like The Fresh Wire, you can listen to on many other podcasts, uh, services, not just Spotify. Um, there's been pretty big podcasts that CNN has been putting out. One that I see from time to time is All There Is with Anderson Cooper and HBO's The Official Game of Thrones podcast for House of the Dragon. Both of those podcasts now seem to be heading to Spotify, I think exclusively. Um, the deal will see Spotify's enterprise podcast platform, Megaphone, host and distribute select podcasts from Warner Bros. Discovery, including uh, the two that I mentioned and another CNN podcast. They will be, and podcasts from these services will be hosted on Megaphone, which is the enterprise podcast platform by Spotify. I actually don't know if that makes it exclusive, but I would be pretty surprised if it's not exclusive. Um, Warner Bros. Discovery has a separate podcast distribution and monetization partnership with Acast for podcasts from the Food Network, TLC, and other channels that aren't as related to CNN, HBO, and whatnot. So, yeah, all right, pretty big deal, Spotify continues to be oddly conflicting with its stance on podcasts. You know, do we want to go all in on exclusive ones or do we not? And for some reason, they continue to be undecided. All righty. Just a little more in the world of tech and whatnot. AMD. I got to mention AI, artificial intelligence, every now and then. But it seems like AMD wants to step in and show the world that it, too, can create processors and chips that would allow faster AI training. does not want to leave NVIDIA all alone on the top of AI processing. AMD wants to step in, introducing, announcing the availability of new accelerators and processors geared toward running LLMs, or rather known as large language models, things that process the AI chatbots you may, you may know, love, or hate, or all of the above, or none. Ooh. You know, like ChatGPT, Google Bard, Microsoft Copilot, formerly Bing Chat. Uh, they, the company, the chip maker, AMD, unveiled the Instinct MI300X Accelerator and Instinct M... Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's an MI or M1. Well, they introduced an accelerator and accelerated processing unit, or APU, that will train and run LLMs and... Uh, in a presentation, it was said that one of them, the accelerator specifically, quote, is the highest performing accelerator in the world, unquote, claiming it's comparable to NVIDIA's other chips, but performs better in the inference side. It, a lot of technical know-how, of course, but it does show that AI development continues to skyrocket, it seems. Um, they also... Uh, AMD also announced uh, the newest addition to their Ryzen price processors, Ryzen being comparable to Intel's i-series, you know, the i7, or whatever they called it. I think they renamed it, actually, recently, Intel Core. Their Intel Core processors, AMD makes Ryzen processors. That's comparable. They introduced the Ryzen 8040. Um, wow. 
I, I forget sometimes that they move up actually pretty quickly every year or so. My computer that was built in mid-2021 has the Ryzen 5900X. Now there's the 8040. Wow. Uh, say it can put more native AI functions into mobile devices. The company said the 8040 series offers 1.6 times more AI processing performance than previous models and integrates neural processing units. If you watch, you know, iPhone, the iPhone yearly reveal, sometimes they'll mention neural processing units, which I think should also help uh, AI utilization uh, locally. Um, so yeah, uh, AMD expects manufacturers that you may know and love or hate, probably for sure, Acer, Asus, Dell, HP, Lenovo, and Razer to begin integrating these processors in the first quarter next year, so early 2024. So a lot of technical know-how there, but I didn't want to mention AI because it continues to grow like crazy. It seems like every week there's just something involving AI, whether it's new hardware or new capability. It's pretty impressive stuff. Um, is it scary? As I say every time, absolutely. But I love seeing how it's developing because it is, like I said, scary. So you got to keep up to date with it. That's why I cover it in my podcast every Tuesday night. But of course, another thing I hate covering, but I got to cover it every now and then when it does happen. Uh, price hikes. You know what? You love it. I may have mentioned a while back that YouTube Premium had a price hike for their YouTube service, um, but it was not set in stone for legacy subscribers, people that before YouTube Premium may have had what was called Google Play Music or YouTube Red, which I think was the former name of YouTube Premium stuff, I think. Um, well, now... They, too, beginning in January, will owe the recently instated $13.99 per month fee. Google previously said it was going to give legacy subscribers a grace period before pumping them up to the higher fee. That period is now coming to an end. So if you were grandfathered into YouTube Premium and had the lower price, you're ready to pay up or not and cancel and combat maybe the ad-blocking situation with YouTube it is against the terms of service, so I have to not support it on my podcast, but I cannot stop you. All right, that's for all the tech, and now we're going to jump into video games. And let me tell you, a lot of video games were announced just Thursday night last week, a big game of football, but of course this took my precedent in my opinion because, wow, a lot of big stuff was announced. If you're a video game enthusiast, you probably recognize the name of Hideo Kojima. And if you're a video game enthusiast, you've probably already looked into the Game Awards, but I'll recap a few things that were announced. The person behind Metal Gear Solid has announced a game, the Xbox project that was rumored to be worked on for a very long time, titled OD. Jordan Peele, very beloved in the movie industry, is a collaborator on the project, and it is touted as being more than a game, but of course, being Hideo Kojima, it was not specified further. A big surprise, as Death Stranding 2 was expected to be shown off in some capacity, so seeing Hideo Kojima and it being a brand new game was a big surprise. Another big surprise for many is new free DLC for Sony's, one of Sony's latest and greatest games, God of War Ragnarok, I think released late last year, uh, to critical acclaim across the board. It's getting free DLC, taking the elements of roguelike and infusing it with God of War Combat. And like I said, it's free and actually released earlier today. So for anyone that has it on PS4 and PS5, well, enjoy. 
I can imagine it's just A-okay, and it being free DLC, I don't see the harm in checking it out. Another thing that I would probably check out when it happens is Marvel's Blade, in development by Arcane Studios, part of Bethesda, makers of Skyrim, and owned by Microsoft. I think it's actually been said that it's not known if this is going to be an Xbox slash PC exclusive, but we'd have to wait and see, as apparently development just started on the game. And it's going to be, quote, a mature single-player third-person game set in the heart of Paris. I'm excited for that. No gameplay was shown, which I hate, genuinely. But, you know, I'll keep my eye on it. And another thing I'll keep my eye on, Sega, the beloved makers of Sonic, Virtual Fighter, the Genesis... Dreamcast, RIP, they announced not one, not two, not six, but five new games in development, all utilizing older properties that have kind of been dormant for the most part. Games on Jet Set Radio, which blew my mind, Shinobi, Golden Axe, Streets of Rage, Crazy Taxi, and more. It's a likely situation that Virtual Fighter may make an appearance. They released a remastered version, I think, for PS4 and I think Xbox One not too long ago. So, yeah, no dates or other info was given besides the trailer. And for longtime Sega fans, it is, of course, extremely exciting. Now, if you know of the game No Man's Sky, the developer behind it, Hello Games, also the beloved makers of Joe Danger and Joe Danger 2 The Movie, actually a video game, 10 years ago, they announced No Man's Sky at the Game Awards. 10 years later, they announced an extremely ambitious new game called Light No Fire, looking to be a very ambitious open-world online multiplayer game. I think the person on stage said the first real open-world Earth game or whatever, showing and the gameplay itself, which is very early, and they said they've had a small team working on it as they continue to put full effort into No Man's Sky updates, which, by the way, have really turned the game around and has made it an extraordinarily good experience. The gameplay that was shown off included building, dragon riding, and cooperative elements i'm excited for more info when it comes around five years from now and 10 years from now when it's actually good or rather i hope it's just good day one dlc for final fantasy 16 was announced uh, some of which was released that later that night um, the other dlc releasing early next year looks pretty good i recommend uh, to look into final fantasy 16 i've heard it's fantastic it won a few awards at the game awards not Game of the Year, though. That went to Baldur's Gate 3, which won a boatload of rewards. I think it's a turn-based RPG. It, I've, I haven't seen a whole lot of it, but everyone that's played it, or almost everyone, has absolutely loved it. And, yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere and took everyone's hearts, which I respect. Those were the big reveals from the looks of it. Um, a new Dragon Ball game was also shown off. A game from... The makers of Untitled Goose Game was also shown off that is surely to take the hearts of many live streamers when that launches in 2025. A new game for Jurassic Park was also shown off. A revival of a canceled action game from the early 2000s titled Jurassic Park Survival. A new Square Enix game, Visions of Mana. A new look at Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. A whole lot of games were shown off, including one with Matthew McConaughey uh, that was a big surprise seeing him there. Anthony Mackie was also in attendance, um, not just to announce a game award, but also to say that Twisted Metal, a show on Peacock based on the game of the same name, confirming that season two is on the way because of how well received 
Twisted Metal was. It did not receive Best Adaptation, though. That went to The Last of Us, which I've yet to see, but I've heard is absolutely amazing. Also, World of Goo 2, based on the sequel from the 2008 game World of Goo, that was a big hit on WiiWare, um, that I remember playing the heck out of and loving. 15 years later, 15 years, they finally announced a sequel. Pretty cool stuff. And, of course, the big one that I got to mention, the last reveal was Monster Hunter Worlds, a new Capcom game that is the first Monster Hunter, the first new and exciting and just new Monster Hunter uh, 2018 was Monster Hunter World for PS4 and Xbox One. This kicks off a new generation, launching on PC and current-gen consoles. 2025, they did not show a whole lot of it, but it looked pretty good. It also kind of looks like Monster Hunter. Nothing too groundbreaking, but I'm certain it's because it's in what I think is early development, 2025. It will be directly competing with Grand Theft Auto 6, though, which I talked about in my last podcast episode, which is releasing in 2025. How that going? How's that going to end up is anyone's game. No pun intended. And speaking of, uh, a little more on Epic. Um, there was a bit of controversy that I remember it being discussed. I don't remember where the details were released or reportedly leaked, but one of the biggest companies that Fortnite, the game made by Epic Games, was never really able to make a collab with, even to now, was Nintendo. Almost anything else, I mean, even Family Guy, Peter Griffin is now in Fortnite. There's very few characters I can think of that may be really wanted that is not in Fortnite, but of course, most of them are very likely Nintendo characters. Star Fox, Samus from Metroid, Super Mario, and all his friends, Donkey Kong. None of them are in Fortnite, and they very well could. You know, Link, easily. But in a statement, um, Epic's head of Fortnite's ecosystem, Sax Pearson, has said, quote, Nintendo has their strategy, and we have our strategy, and we hope at some point, unquote, that they will be able to use their characters one day. Quote, our players would love it. I do remember some poster that came out a while back that had in a very small silhouette background a character that looked like Samus Aran from Metroid with her suit and everything. But alas, it didn't come to be. And reportedly, I remember this somewhere, that Epic Games wanted Samus and maybe even other Nintendo characters. And Nintendo said, sure, absolutely, we'd love to, but they could only be playable and viewable on Nintendo Switch which was completely out of the question, and thus it never happened. But I'm certain it was early development enough for it, for Samus to be on a poster. Um, disappointing, of course. But it's actually not even, that wouldn't even have set precedent. Rocket League, for the Nintendo Switch, has Mario & Luigi costumes that you can add to, or Mario & Luigi-themed carts that you can utilize in Rocket League that if you play with other Nintendo Switch players, they'll be able to see and... Haha, <laughs> let's go, Mamma Mia, you know the gist. But if you play it on any other platform and you encounter people with the Mario and Luigi themed cards, they're going to show up as default color. There is literally no Nintendo reference or anything that pops up any other, uh, any other platform. Mario and Luigi themed cards, if you're playing on PS5, you won't see them. And if you sync them up, you won't see them either. Actually, the same has recently been applied to Apex Legends, a free-to-play battle royale that, in my opinion, I like to play a lot more than Fortnite. In terms of directly battle royale, Fortnite ha now has a lot of other elements, including a rock band recreation and an entire Lego mode. Crazy all the new stuff they announced recently. But anyway, 
um, they are introducing cross-save. I may have mentioned this. Cross-save, um, where now you know a lot of the content that you may have been building up, like cosmetics, will finally be able to sync across platforms, as far as I understand. Except for a few skins. PlayStation Plus skins, I think Xbox, some Xbox ones, and a Nintendo Switch Pathfinder skin that came out around the time the Switch version released that I don't think I was able to get, but I don't remember. I may have opened it once just for the heck. Um, that will not transfer over. You will only be able to utilize that skin. Pretty disappointing, but it is red and white themed, like the Switch logo. Oh, not too surprising, I guess. Uh, a little more on video gaming. A bit of a disappointing thing, but to some it may not be that unexpected. E3, when I was younger, completely hyped up, full of games reveals uh, across the board. All the companies would join in. Huge ordeal. And then COVID-19 happened. And it has not been the same since. As a matter of fact, I don't even think they had an E3 since 2020. I think they had one 2019, but Sony wasn't there. It was one of those two. In its place has been companies just doing their own press conference and reveals in their own independent ways. So, like Sony, for example, was already kind of straying away from their, you know, E3 showings with their own stadiums and whatnot. Microsoft joined in. Nintendo's has been digital for a very long time. And now in an interview with the Washington Post, the CEO of ESA, which I think hosts E3, Stanley Pierre-Louis, has confirmed E3 is gone and never coming back. A more direct quote, we know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event, but it's the right thing to do given the new opportunities our industry has to reach fans and partners. ESA, by the way, meaning Entertainment Software Association. What else do they do? Now I don't know. They've been a nonprofit trade organization that ran the, Ele the Electronic Entertainment Expo. That's what E3 stood. There hasn't been an e in-person E3 since 2019. In 2021, it actually did return. Oh, that's a little... I must have forgotten. As a digital showcase. 2022, it was canceled but promised that it would return 2023 as a hybrid online and in-person event. But, yeah. Uh, big replacement that seems to have taken over by, this, by storm is the Summer Games Fest, which is hosted by the same people that run the, the Game Awards, which happens at the end of every year. So now there's just two big opportunities for smaller developers to reveal anything that they're working on for the next several months, maybe a year or more. One in the summer, which used to be E3, and now it's been this way for the past 10 years, but the Game Awards. So, you know, and there's always the smaller ones like CES and maybe even South by Southwest that happen every now and then. Um, so, yeah, I mean, RIP E3. As a kid, I always dreamed of going to E3 and covering the latest and greatest and meeting with, you know, legendary people that work in the video game industry, and now that is no longer the case, which is uh, disappointing, but nothing we can do about it now. Something that Microsoft, or at least the developers specifically, can also do nothing about, no pun intended, or rather good transition, is that a union for Zenimax Studios, the makers behind the Elder Scrolls Online, which is a, based on a beloved property like Bethesda, you know, Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, they have reached a deal on how AI can be used in the workplace. 
the workers have bargained with the tech giant Microsoft to implement six principles for the use of AI. The use and development of the technology specifically must be, quote, reliable and safe, private and secure, inclusive, transparent, and accountable. A little bit of uh, backstory. Aligned with the Communication Workers of America, the Xenomax Union represents 376 quality assurance QA professionals and contractors. It was first formed in January after a card count, becoming Microsoft's inaugural, inaugural, inaugural domestic union. The group says now it has become the first labor group in the video game industry to reach a deal with its employer over the use of... These sort of negotiations have um, been worked through since April. Uh, once a tentative deal is reached, members will be able to weigh in on the terms of the deal, including its AI language in a ratification vote. Now, a little bit of more union info that I wanted to cover. Wasn't sure, but this article by The Hollywood Reporter, great stuff, by the way, uh, actually talks about uh, this came the same day as Microsoft announced it is forming an alliance with the U.S.'s late largest labor federation, the AFL-CIO, on artificial intelligence. The new partnership is, to, uh, is encouraging information sharing between the company and labor groups. The company also committed to maintaining a neutral stance on worker organizing efforts by AFL-CIO member unions. And a little bit of context, in addition to the CWA, the AFL-CIO includes SAG-AFTRA, the WGA, East and IATSE as members. Partnership set to begin its work start uh, starting early next year. So big stuff, pretty big stuff. Um, you know, always got a fin little union mention here and there, and, well, big stuff, big stuff. Excited to see where it all goes. Now, a little bit of futurology talks. You know it, you love it, maybe you hate it, maybe you fear it. Well, this one I kind of fear. Um, on an article by New Scientist, here's the headline, AI made from living human brain cells perform speech recognition. You definitely don't see that every day. And before I continue, uh, it is, according to them, a proof of concept to show they can do the job. They have a long way to go. So a little know-how. Um, brain organoids are lumps of nerve cells that form when stem cells are grown in certain conditions, like mini brains, according to Feng Guo at Indiana University Bloomington. It takes two to three months to grow the organoids, which are a few millimeters wide and consist of as many as 100 million nerve cells. Human brains contain around 100 billion. Now they're placed on top of a micro-electroid uh, array to send electrical signals and detect when they fire in response. The nerve cells team calls its system brain-aware. Um, it was reported back in March that Guo's team used this to solve equations known as the Heenan map and now it was utilized with speech recognition a task specifically initially they had an accuracy of recognizing 30 to 4 percent of japanese vowel sounds and after training sessions of two days it accuracy rose to 70 to 80 percent so yeah this is genuinely scary um <laughs> don't know how else to say it but now it seems like we're learning how to develop brains <laughs> that recognize speech recognition so just a few more years and we very well may have a full human clone wow that's scary um that's not from the article by the way it this is you know utilizing you know the equivalence of ai but with actual human brain replication or whatnot um yeah an ai from living brain cells beautiful beautiful stuff and that's gonna be it for me 
a lot of stuff was covered today and just awfully impressed every now and then by what happens across the world, across the country. And sometimes it's not good, sometimes it's good, but it's always got to be covered. And with that, I am out. Thank you all for tuning in. I really appreciate it one last time. And make sure to check out thefreshwire.com for the latest updates on the podcast and maybe some articles here and there. I've been a little uh, backed up with making content. I apologize for it, but I will try to get back into it in the near future. But keep an eye out on it and you know, might learn a thing or two extra from what may be covered, may, may not be covered elsewhere. But with all that, thanks for tuning in. And... I will catch you all in the next one. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a gosh darn good one. Have a good day, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you are, however you live. See you around.